1: Let's go on with the show. Hey, audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Kyle Mitchell from... uh used to be from
2: California, but I think he recently moved to Arizona. Is that right, Kyle? I did. I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona a couple months ago to be uh, more boots on the ground for our company. Good, good, good. So yeah, we're going to be talking to
1: Kyle about his story, and I think he has been on our podcast, So and and we're going to talk a lot more about asset management and and, uh, some of the things that he and his partner uh, Gary Lipsky is doing as well on the asset management side. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, James, how you doing? Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Good, good, good. So what makes you moved from California to Arizona? I know you said boots on the ground, but that's not the only reason, right? Is there any other reason that you're seeing why you move from California to Arizona?
2: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing for us is growing our business. I am boots on the ground, but I, I just think there's not, there's no trade-off with being someone that's boots on the ground, being able to drive a property within 10 minutes. If I get an email on an off market deal, I can also understand what's going on the market better. I have better relationships in that market. And so the better your relationships, are here, uh, whatever market you're in, especially with how hot the multifamily industry is right now, the better chance you have of getting real deals and off-market deals. So it really was to grow our portfolio out here.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And why are you guys so focused on the Arizona market and where exactly in Arizona are you guys focusing on?
2: Yeah, we're focused in the Phoenix MSA, uh, which is a large territory, and then the Tucson market. And uh, we're hyper-focused on just Arizona because we really want to know our market and we want to build stronger relationships out here. You We we could be the the firm that invests in five or six different markets, but I think you tend to get spread very thin in that situation. And you know, we don't have our own property management company, and we so we hire a third party property management company. And so, you know, one of my pet peeves is when I see investors say, "Hey, I just got a property in so and so market. Anyone have a property management company that they can refer?" That to me is doing it a little bit backwards, right? I mean, you want to find your relationships, have key team players in place before you actually get the investment. Your management company is a huge factor in execution of your business plan. And so um, we really want the strongest partnerships out here with contractors, with brokers, with investors, uh, with property management companies, etc. And then we also want to know the market. And so I'm out here driving neighborhoods, driving for dollars, understanding where the growth is happening. And you can do that through market reports and visiting every now and then, but there's just no replacement from being here boots on the ground.
1: Yeah. I've seen a lot of deals where the numbers looks great on paper, but when I drive it, I see there's nothing really happening in this area. I mean, this could be big cities like San Antonio, even Austin, right? So, but there's, I mean, you drive around it's so industrious or there's all the shops are boarded up and the numbers looks great. The apartment is 90%, but do you really want to buy in this area where nothing is happening? right and and, and I've uh, let go of few of that opportunities and uh, the good thing is I realized that that deal come back to the market after a few years because they can't turn it around right so right. whoever bought it right so so I have that good of, good of instinct and I do agree that's why you have to be boots on the ground that's why you have to have local market knowledge and you have to have that local relationship to at least find a good deal out there so let's go a bit more deeper into the Phoenix market I did have a, you know when I started this podcast I did have like you know guest number three or number four uh you know we'll talk really deep about Phoenix Market, but and I want to go deep into where you are because that's like almost one and a half year ago. So I know it's red hot right now, right? Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, it's almost as hot as Austin. Maybe it could be better than Austin, right? Because of the amount of people moving to to these places, right? So tell me, how's the situation in terms of you know cap rate, price per door, you know taxes and insurance in Phoenix, Arizona? Tucson, the
2: market, yeah. Cap rates, I think by the end of the year are going to be at three and a half percent, believe it or not. Um, it depends Depending on what market report you read, they're between four and five percent right now. As far as price per door, I was looking at a market report the other day. 2018 price per door in Phoenix was seventy-seven thousand. Then in nineteen, I think it was one hundred twenty thousand. Then in twenty, it was one hundred fifty thousand. Now it's above two hundred thousand dollars a door uh, for for nineteen seventies and eighties product out here in Phoenix. So it's definitely um, going a little bit crazy. But at the same time, the reason why I like Phoenix is they have infrastructure. They're building infrastructure. They've got. Job diversity, higher paying jobs are coming in. So I think they're doing it the right way. And especially on that job diversity and the infrastructure um, standpoint, they just built two brand new freeways out here. So you're seeing a lot of jobs and a lot of building going into those. And so, you know, um, and they have huge population growth. So I think that the market can withstand the way it's going, although it is rapidly growing right now. As far so, as... Uh, Sorry, you mentioned taxes and insurance. One of the reasons why we love Phoenix or Arizona is because taxes are predictable out here. They're not like a Texas. It's 5% max growth year over year unless you're doing something like new development or ground up. Um, and then insurance costs have gone up since the Texas freeze, but they're still very favorable. I would say between 150
1: to $200 a unit. Hold on, you say Texas freeze costs the uh, Phoenix, Arizona's insurance to go up too? Yes, because... Yeah. So we are, we're all sharing the all- cost, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's not always... <laughs> <laughs> Texas can't afford to pay for it all so they got to spread it around
1: so I'm worried now because my taxes are not due yet it's due in August so yeah but, uh, but I, heard, I heard
2: about the increase mm-hmm. so yeah. even you know even something in another market can affect your market when it comes to insurance so you got to keep an eye on that for sure got it got it got it but yeah very interesting and
1: and how how's the bidding war is there a bidding war there happening you know what kind of bloodbath are they seeing? Are they seeing like day one hot money flow through on day one? What, what what's happening there? Can you yeah, I highlight? was
2: I was part of a bloodbath a couple of weeks ago, and I'm happy to share because we lost, and um, it's just one of those things. We were in a third best and final, so three best and finals. We had already had a seller interview, and they asked us to redline a purchase and sale agreement before we made our third best and final offer. So you know, and it was a it was a forty page PSA. Sometimes you see fifteen page PSAs so we had to hire our attorney, look through it, redline it. Uh, We thought we'd be right there. And, um, you know, after three rounds, we were still in the final four. We ended up being a million dollars off. And, you know, there's substantial day one money. I'm saying in the seven figure mark. Day one money, million to two million dollars. I've even seen a million dollars hard day one in Tucson, Arizona, which is just crazy. And you know, we're never going to be that firm that's going to put that much money hard day one. But um, that's what you're going up against when you're going on on market deals in the Arizona market.
1: Wow, I think that's definitely a lot more blood than what we see in Texas, from what I know, right? I mean, I don't think so. We have seen like three best and finals. Maybe there is. I mean, maybe I. For me, I don't even go into the into the best and final. If I go, so maybe after the first round, I'm done, right? I think you were mentioning about, you know, redlining PSA before. During, I think probably the sellers or brokers just see who doesn't have any rate line in their, their contract. If you have one rate line, you're out. <laughs> right, probably, probably. This guy is asking for too much.
2: So. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, uh, it's a crazy market. And the only re- reason we did that is we really love that area. High growth, yeah. high potential, um, mm. very amazing area. But other than that, we typically don't go after best and final type of bidding mm-hmm. situations because of that. And that's why we focus more on off-market and relationship kind of buys. Got it, got it. Awesome. Awesome, awesome.
1: Yeah, very interesting the phoenix market but t- talk about your growth i think since we talk i think at that time you were doing your first deal right so now you're like almost at 400 units right i, I can't remember what was your first deal i think probably a 50 something unit a second. it was
2: 42 units 42 units saw, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah. i remember
1: it was like 40 or 50 units. Yeah. so how, how did you grow from 40 something units to 400 units what do you think has made you successful and what advice would you give to new people
2: yeah i think we were focused in what we wanted to do you know we weren't looking in four or five different markets we were looking in two That are really in one state, and a lot of those brokers overlap. And so we spent a lot of time building relationships with the right people. Uh, number two, obviously, the team that surrounds you. Uh, we've mm-hmm. gotten off market deals from the brokers that we closed with previously, but we also, um, with our general partnership team, um, were able to find deals through each other as well. But after our first deal, our 42 unit, we scaled quickly to um, 128 units. So the first deal was 1.65, second deal was 15 million. and and uh, you know, then we went 13 months in between deals. So it mm-hmm. felt like we were never gonna get a deal again. A little bit of that was with COVID, but other ones were just, were, we couldn't find the right deal. But um, then we found our third deal, It's going to be a great deal. And then three weeks later, we literally got another off market. So they happen in waves, but I think it's just by being consistent, uh, being focused in kind of the niche that we're uh, focused on and then the team building around us. How do you think your investor relationship has grown from where you started to now? Uh, Tremendously, you know, and and there's been learning curves. I think COVID actually helped us become better operators uh, and therefore closer to our investors because we really were very high. Touch relationship type of uh, investing firm, right? We talk to our investors often. And so when COVID hit, we really made even an additional effort to talk to them even more and provide them with more information. And in order to do that, you have to change how you do operations and dig in a little bit further. So I think our investors really appreciate how we reacted uh, from COVID. But even just over the course of time, them seeing our growth um, and how serious of a firm we are, obviously, how seriously we take our investments, uh, me moving states to continue to build our company. Those things go a long way when you're talking to investors. Got it, got it, got it. So
1: I know when I met you the first time, you guys had the meetup and you were already doing a lot of things even before you
2: buy your first year. So do you think all that helped out? I do. I think it all compounds, right? So we started with one meetup, then a podcast. Now we've got two meetups and two podcasts, a course, a book, a a summit. And so I think over time, you know, if we did that all at once, it would have been too much. But every six months or so, we added one thing or another. And now, we have all these different platforms where you can find out about us, even the YouTube channel. Um, and so I do, I do definitely think it worked. Um, but I would suggest when you're first starting out, you pick one thing and be really good at that. And then you can add them as you continue to grow because it can be overwhelming to manage all these different uh, platforms. Yeah. I remember when we first met, I
1: think you talked about, you know, where do you want to focus? Because at the, at, I think that time you were looking for deals. And I mean, of course, it's hard to for someone new to do your first year, right? It's always hard, right? But I think you were like really, really doing a lot of soul searching, whether you want to focus on operation, being an operator mm. or doing money raising because hey "Hey, James, I can't find deals. Maybe I should focus on money raising. So, so how was that soul searching ended up being where you are? Because I think a lot of people are struggling right now as a newbie, right? Where do they start, right? And do they just start with raising money? Do they become operator immediately? So can you walk through that process so at least some people can learn, you know,
2: how, how was yeah. that soul searching? I love that question because I do remember calling you and asking you that question and you were very helpful for me is, you know, basically saying, begin with the end in mind, where do you want to be in five or six years? And ultimately. ultimately. Ultimately, I didn't want to be a capital raiser. I didn't want to only, I didn't want to have no control over my deals. Essentially, I I wanted to operate because that was my background, right? In management and operations. um, And that's where my strengths lie. And so, you know, you kind of geared me or kind of pushed me towards that direction. And I really appreciate it because I was able to kind of build our own firm, um, really utilize my strengths as a manager, as an operator, um, to kind of push our portfolio forward where I'm not really a salesperson. I I do raise capital, but it's not something that, you know, I'm super passionate about. And so really I I found my passion within management and operations on that side of the apartment business. Uh, but ultimately I wanted to be a lead sponsor. I didn't want to be a capital raiser. And I think I could have easily started out as a capital raiser. I could have gotten a couple of hundred units. I could have said I had 20 million under management, regardless of whether that's or not and some people get stuck there though right and that's all they end up doing and then um, that's it. And I definitely didn't want to get stuck there and only be a capital raiser. I definitely wanted to have my own investors that I was being able to provide returns for through our efforts of finding deals, managing those deals, and then eventually exiting them.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, when I talked to you, I asked you, what's your background? I mean, you already were running a big operation at that time, right? You were some operation. If I remember you were operation manager for some company, right? which is very difficult job already, which is because you have to make make sure all the moving parts comes together, right? That's same thing. When you're an operator, you have to make sure everything comes together. And that's a skill by itself. Not everybody has that skill. And it's a known fact that operators makes the most money because you are doing the most work, right? So uh, I mean, knowing that you already have that skill, that's why I, I told you that. And same thing for all the listeners, right? I mean, you can start out being a capital raiser or operator or what, but know, to see what's your strengths are, what's your skills are, what you're able to do. Try to do what you're best at, if you're good at. If you really know how operation, you know, yeah, be an operator because you make the most money out there. That's helpful to just rekindle that thought because a lot of people come to ask me, where do I start? What do I do? Do I raise money first? Do I join venture with someone, just sign the loan or do I start being an operator? I mean, immediately being an operator is difficult because you have to find the deal, you have to underwrite it, yeah. you have to jump on the cliff, you have to take a risk, right? Rather than if you raise money for someone else, you know, you don't take a lot of risk right? But but some people can do it. So that's good. So tell me about this asset management and property management. Can you define in your mind, what is asset management? And we want to go a bit more detail into the asset management topic.
2: Yeah, essentially, asset management is putting systems and procedures in place to hold your property management company accountable. Now, some operators out there own their own property management company. So those can be tied together. But if you're hiring a third party property management company, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, okay, I'm going to buy my property here are the keys. Here's kind of my business plan. Go ahead and operate the property. And that's just not the right way to do things for sure. And that's not the way to get the best returns. I think in the last 10 years, anyone could have bought a property, mismanaged it and still made money because the market was so hot and it continues to be. But when there's ebbs and flows and dips, that's where real asset management comes into play. And you want to have systems and processes in place to hold your property management company accountable, but also work side by side with them to help them get the property where it needs to Be in the execution of the business plan, whether it be renovations, even marketing, uh, leasing strategies, all those types of things. We have systems in place to make sure you know our partners, our property management company, mm-hmm. are following those steps and pushing the property forward as fast as possible. So let's walk through some
1: of the systems in place because uh, I mean, for me, I, I you know I can differentiate, but I do a lot of things on my own between property management and asset management as well, right? But you are in a good space because you have a third-party property management, right? So let's walk through like two or three processes that you do to asset manage your property management
2: company. Yep, one thing I learned from the golf industry is that uh, they used to hire a company to do secret shopper reports, right? So that person would actually come to the golf course, they'd eat at our restaurant, they'd go hit a bucket of balls and then they would rate their experience. How long it took them to get served? Were they given the right change? Were they given a receipt? Uh, They'd also call in, was the phone answered by the third ring? And so I kind of took that template and moved it over to the apartment industry. And so we secret shop our apartments on a monthly basis we do a phone call and we use a Google voice number. So it's different every month. And then we also do an online inquiry. So whether it's, you know, one month it's from our website, the next month it's from apartment guy, the next month it's from apartment uh, list or apartments.com. So it's a different platform every month. And we always ask a specific question, right? We want to make sure they're not just copy and pasting a generic email in there. So we'll ask them, Hey, do you have any top floor available? I don't want anyone living underneath me or I have a pet. Uh, do you allow pets? Whatever it is. Um, and we've got a scorecard and it's a, an 80 point score cor- card. And we want to see a 90% or better. And it even goes down to the level of how quick they responded to the inquiry, whether it's within an hour, same day, uh, Um, You know, 24 hours, 48 hours was their follow up, all those different things. And we do that once a month for every property. And that allows us to help train the property management company on how we want them to respond to the residents, how quickly we respond to the residents and if they're even being communicated with. So when you say we, I mean, is it you and your partner or you have a team doing it or you have some random
1: people doing it or as a
2: company? Yeah, originally it was my partner and I, but now we have an executive assistant that does it for us. And so we've got it on one template that has tabs for every property. um, And then we just carry it over. And then every month we'll have a training call with our property management company on how we can improve the things we can improve. And, you know, those are not just gotcha type of moments. We're not trying to catch someone not doing something right. We're really just trying to work together to improve our operations. And sometimes we've just, Found that, hey, there's inconsistent information on some of our online platforms. So, you know, when you go to apartments.com, hey, this is outdated. We need to update that. And that's how you check on those things because we're going to them. Uh, and then we found out also that one of the websites wasn't communicating with our property management company the right way. And so they weren't actually getting the inquiries. So if we never tested that, we wouldn't have known that. So leads were going in the trash right away from that website. So you just find out a lot of different things. And by helping instead of, you know, just uh, relying on the property management company, you can really find a lot of opportunity
1: so what about this is uh, apart from mystery shopping um do you have any more tips on asset managing? Yeah, we, a property
2: management? yeah, one way we help our property management company is that we do additional marketing, you know, so we'll actually market on Facebook. So our um, assistant has a Facebook marketplace on her Facebook for our properties and communicates with certain residents that are applying for jobs. We'll do additional units. You can actually go on like a rent links or apartments.com and, and do additional units. Sometimes if your property is 3201, you can do half want we 3202 and list the property still. So there's multiple listings. Um, and so more people are actually seeing those listings. And so we generate about 60 extra leads a month to our properties uh, by doing that. And if you can get one or two leads out of those, uh, that actually, that's just huge, right? And so our goal is to get a hundred leads per property. So we're still working on that, but uh, that's another thing that's been really helpful for our properties.
1: So, so hundred leads per month, I guess, right?
2: is what our goal is per property yeah right now
1: we're at 60. so let's go back into that again so you said what is 3201 what is 32.5 what's is that is oh that sorry 32,
2: sorry that's the address so 3201 okay. seneca street right so we'll go okay. 3202 and if it's not a real address you can kind of use that right if it's an okay property, it. you can't do that yeah so you've got, got it, to play got it. with it a little bit but you're able to to do that and you can also refresh your listings uh neil bawa talks about this so you know your listing every time someone does a new listing your listing gets pushed to the bottom so you can refresh it so it goes to the top so once a day mm-hmm. on certain uh, websites and once an hour on other ones and so our assistant goes in there and refreshes those like which websites
1: top. are we talking about is it one links you're talking about
2: Rent links is at every hour, I believe. So we have our assistant while she's working, go in every hour to refresh our listings. And then apartments.com only allows you to do it once a day.
1: Mm, interesting. So apartment.com, uh, they have a sponsorship listing, right? Is that when you refresh, does it go up even within the sponsorship, I guess, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, got it. Got it. Yeah, that's a good tips uh, to increase your lead flow, right? Uh, so that you can get, you know, as quick as possible. So uh, what about any other tips after that?
2: Yeah, you know, a lot of it is we've got a KPI dashboard that we use now. So all of our data gets pulled from our property management system into a, a KPI dashboard. And we use those KPIs to make business decisions. And, you know, when you're a larger company, you're using some tools like LRO, which is a, a revenue management tool that determines what your rent sh- should be based on lease expirations and, you know, what the market's doing. But when you're not at that size, um, it's important to know other leasing strategies. So we like to talk about not just taking your total occupancy, but really breaking it down a level further and understand what's your occupancy of your unit mix, right? So if you have two different size one bedrooms and two different size two bedrooms and different renovation levels, you want to know your occupancy within each of those, because let's just make it simple. If you're 100% occupied on one bedrooms, but 85% occupied on two bedrooms, but your total occupancy is 90%, some people may just say, hey, we need to lower the rent so we can get our occupancy up. When you could actually raise your rent on the one bedrooms, because you're 100% occupied, and lower your rents on the two bedrooms, if that's what the issue kind of uh, that you find out is the issue. But I think a lot of people just take it for whatever's on the top level and not dig in a layer deeper and a layer deeper to really figure that out. And I think some people just shoot themselves in the foot by taking that information and not digging in a little bit more. Yeah, I think
1: that's what the the software like LRO does. They look at demand supply at the detail level and per day level as well and what is remaining and what is uh, you know unit you which is stale, i think right which is if we're ready but not least right so it's a lot of data that you, once you go into like i mean this is exactly what asset management should be where right? you go deeper into it even though a lot of it should be done by property management as well but you know you need that high level, you know, uh, asset managers to really push the property map. You have an asset management mastery and you guys are writing a book on asset management. Let's talk a bit more on that. Can you tell us a bit more?
2: Yeah, I appreciate that. We've got a book coming out on June 29th, um, and it's called Best in Class. And uh, you can actually get the ebook for 99 cents on Amazon. And uh, it's everything we're kind of talking about here. It's got uh, a bunch of different chapters from, you know, what is asset management to different leasing and marketing strategies to disposition uh, to even investor relations, a lot of samples. And then that book also has a resources website that you can go to and download a ton of our resources that we use on our asset management as well. But we're really passionate about teaching about asset management because I, I really do think a lot of people think buying apartments is raising capital and getting your first deal. And then the property management company will take it from there. And that's just not the case. And, and really, you know, in the apartment, Industry, the profit is in that back half of the occupancy, economic occupancy. You know, you're not making a ton of money at 90% occupancy, but you're making it when you're at 97, 98%. So if you can get that extra one or 2% in occupancy, economic occupancy, uh, that's going to be huge for your bottom line and your profits for you and your investors. And so I, we're just really passionate about getting the word out that, hey, you need to have someone on your team that understands what asset management is. So our book is kind of one of those books that you can read front to back, but also if you're in due diligence, you can go to the due diligence chapter. If you're in disposition and selling, you can go to this, uh, go to that chapter. And so um, I'm really excited about the book and, and helping educate people more on that asset management side. Alright, alright, kind alright. Of, kind of. I think we can. We are going to be
1: releasing this podcast uh, on that date. Oh, perfect. This good. So it's going to be a good promotion for you. I mean, we really need a book or any knowledge on asset management because people has forgot about asset management because for the past mm-hmm. ten years everything is going up. We really don't have to really do asset management to say you make a big return. Uh, but you know, during COVID, I'm sure there's a. Lot of people who have seen the other part of uh, when market goes down, right? So, uh, but I think it's always a key skill to have asset management skill because you can squeeze uh, the juice out of it, especially yep. now when the deal is so tough, right? You're paying top dollar for a lot of deals, and how do you squeeze that efficiency out of the deals, right?
2: Yeah, and you know, asset management is also kind of a mindset. You're always trying to be proactive. You're always trying to think what's the next thing that's going to go wrong. You're thinking three, six, twelve months in advance instead of being reactive. And so, by being proactive, when things like COVID do hit hopefully you have a lot of your systems in place that help now it doesn't mean everything's gonna go perfectly but you have a lot of those systems already and then you have the mindset to say hey how do we get things better how do we improve on them and things tend to go a lot better when you're thinking more proactively than reactively got it got it got
1: it well i mean kyle thanks for coming to the show can you tell our audience about how to contact you
2: yeah absolutely if you want to get the book again go to amazon it's 99 cents for the ebook it's called best in class uh and you can also head over to Asset assetmanagementmastery.com and that's where you can find out more about us. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks,
0: James. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free along with other valuable resources by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.